We've been working on this series called Growing Pains. We're talking about what happens when that gospel and the message of Jesus actually is winning in the world. It means that the church grows. And as the church grows, there are various pains that we're going to go through. There are various problems that we're going to erupt through. I mean, uh, growing pains are common. How many of you guys had growing pains growing up when you were in junior high or high school? Yeah, or even younger. Yeah, I mean, it's like um, my son right now is just, I think he's grown, my oldest son has grown like almost, I think, a foot within the last year, just like in. And that sounds painful to me. And yet that's what he's been going through. And same thing is with the church. Lots of pain, lots of stuff. And so one of the things we're going to look at today, one of those growth pains that we're going to be talking about is the growth pain of, of an increase of need. There is a sense that when the church grows, that there's needs that grow and there needs to be a response to that. And we call that response typically ministry. And so I want to dive into that thought because, I, you know, I love ministry. I've been actually I've been the opportunity to serve at church since I was um, freshman in college. I was, I came to Christ as a senior in high school. And so when I finally had the opportunity, they kind of got to know me better at the church I got saved in. They said, Hey, we'd love for you to, uh, to run a, to run a, a worship team for the junior high. And so I had about uh, an opportunity to kind of lead a, a worship team for the junior high group. And that kind of devolved a little bit and fell apart until eventually me and another guy here, we actually got to be the game guys for this junior high group. And there was a, Oh my gosh, there was like 400 junior high running around in that room at one time. So you can imagine we were controlling Bedlam. So we're trying to think of some some ideas of what can we do to make this fun, get junior hires involved and we came up with this idea of um, based on American Gladiators. Anybody remember American Gladiators? I think it was an awesome show. These big, buff, crazy men and women who were going to compete against these normal, everyday human beings uh, on all these different competitions. And so we each took a persona, and I don't quite remember what everybody else's persona was, but I remember mine. I'm a little embarrassed about it by now. Uh, we, we, I had taken on the persona of the elder. And I'm not talking about like old man elder or church elder. I'm talking about like, uh, like, LDS elder kind of guy. So I had like a white shirt and a tie and, and, um, and there was supposed to be this thing where they were to take us and get us out of this ring. I remember this vividly. It was so memorable. So we have these kids come up, select them out of the crowd. They're all excited. They're going to win a prize and they're supposed to wrestle me out of this ring or one of the other leaders out of this ring. Now you got to understand, I threw discus and I threw shot put in high school. So I I had a little bit of lower body strength, kind of knew how to use leverage a little bit. And so they come in and this kid's all excited. He's grabbing me and he's trying to wrestle with me. And I just, I can remember it vividly. I grabbed under his arms just for a second. I took a step back, turned my hip and Whew, junior higher in the air. I mean, this kid is floating through the sky doing this little shift. And I'm thinking, I'm done. I'm never serving again. And this kid lands and he hurts himself just a little bit. It wasn't bad. I'm sitting there going like, oh, I'm no longer doing games in the junior high group any longer. And it was one of those moments where you're just like, that was so bad. So memorable, but so bad. And that's the thing about ministry is, is when you do it right, it's memorable and satisfying. That was memorable, not satisfying. It's not satisfying to throw a student around. What's satisfying was the other day on Monday, getting to take my kids and my wife and meet up with a bunch of you uh, for this Love Week. How many of you, by the way, were involved in some kind of project for Love Week? Throw your hand up real quick just so I can see. Thank you guys for those of you who are involved. We praise God for you just jumping in like that. My family, we got to go down to El Estancia del Sol, which is around the corner here, and got to connect with some some um, uh, retired men and women who, honestly, many of them hadn't seen their families in a long, long time. They lived on the East Coast. In fact, one lady we met named Norma, she was awesome. 
And Norma was so cute, just talking to her. She's a world traveler, grew up in Oklahoma. Her parents uh, ran, were part of the railroad, so she'd get on the railroads and get to go wherever she wanted. And it was just kind of this opportunity to hear her story um, about seven or eight times. And, uh, but the, uh, she, um, again, she was this sweet little lady. She told me she'd gotten to go to China with her sister-in-law, and her sister-in-law at China just wanted to take a nap every day. And she said, look, I didn't come to sleep. I came to see. And she told me that several times. That was her motto. But she'd been all over the world. It was just cool to connect with her, to hear her story, get to connect with several other ladies, um, Prexy and some others, who just were able to sit and talk and share. And in the beauty of just that moment, there was something that we met their need as they were looking just to connect and talk to my kids and meet us. At the same time, uh, we, I was feeling like, man, I'm, I'm satisfied in this. This is something I'm never going to forget. And it's something that I get to, that my soul is being satisfied, that I'm meeting somebody's need. And that's the case of ministry. When your soul is satisfied and, you, and you're meeting somebody's needs so that they're satisfied and it's memorable. And I hope that everybody here has an opportunity to experience that. See, that's something that's available, not just in a love week. It's available every single week. It's available during services and during the week at various ministries. We want to call us to the opportunity to take hold of that. Because like I said, as a church grows, so do the needs. And there needs to be a response. In fact, that's exactly what we see in this text as we continue in the book of Acts. If you want to grab a Bible and open up, we're going to look at chapter 6. We're going to start moving into verses 1 through 7. And so it's interesting is in chapter 6, um, this is again a book, a scroll that has been written by a man named Doc, by Luke, Dr. Luke. He was a doctor in the ancient world, traveled around with Paul, had been asked by, the Roman, uh, by a Roman official to uh, pin down the history of the Christian movement. So in his first scroll, we know is the Gospel of Luke. He wrote out the biography of Jesus. And the second scroll we know is the book of Acts. He's writing out the first 30 years of church history. And now we've come to this moment. The church has been growing. There's been all kinds of integrity. There's been persecution. There's been pressure. The church has stood with boldness. The church has stood with courage and conviction. And now it's been growing. And so we pick up. It says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number... There's that growth. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, the Hellenists and the Hebrews is something that I need to clarify because this is, these are both Jewish people who speak different languages. So the Hellenists are Greek-speaking Jews, and the Hebrews are, Jew, are Jews who spoke Hebrew or they spoke Aramaic. So they grew up in Jerusalem. Now, what's interesting about the Hellenists is this Jewish group of people would have grown up outside of anywhere near Judea or Jerusalem. And as they grew up out there, they only learned the Greek language. And so when they come into town, they were speaking the, the common language of everybody. But they were considered lesser than. In fact, many times these people who moved to Jerusalem were oftentimes older men and women at retirement age. Um, by the way, retirement age for, for that time period was around the, in the 40s because you're pretty much your, your, expected life, your life expectancy was about 45. So if you were moving in town, you were older, you were coming in because there was going to be provision given to you and aid from the temple. And so you lived in Jerusalem to, so you could gain some of that aid and have some of that help. And so the city was full of older men and women who were being helped out by the temple alms and needs. And so the church had gathered these people in them as they'd come to Christ. And so now they were going to meet those needs. They were going to connect with them and help them out. And unfortunately, whether it was through communication, because 
Maybe some of these Hebrew, the, the, uh, some of the Hebrew uh, Jewish speaking, uh, uh, sorry, Hebrew speaking Jews were not um, able to speak Greek. We don't know. Or it's just that they thought they were lesser than it was discrimination. People are being overlooked. And so this need rises up. They call it a complaint. It was something that everybody had begun to see and notice, and they brought it to the attention of the church. And this is kind of how it works. As the church grows, in this case, with tens of thousands of people, new needs were beginning to rise up. Things were beginning to break down. They're saying, we need to cover this. We need to deal with this. And same thing happens for us. Look, as all a branch grows, as we grow, needs are going to grow as well. And this is important for us to remember as a church that as we bring people to Christ, as we see our neighbors become our friends and our friends become family, as we engage with the 200,000 people around us, what we're going to see is those needs will increase as well. And so it's important then that we respond rightly. In fact, we've already kind of responded in a couple of ways. We have the Uniquely His 2.0. It's happened in this service. That was a response to some of our students who were, at first, they had some sidekicks in the lower grades, now moving up into junior high and higher grades, even beyond high school, and just kind of having a place that they could meet, connect, and get a, just get a lesson that's kind of appropriate at their, at their learning and education level, and they felt comfortable in. You know, another one that was met could be read this way. Now, in those days when Olive Branch was increasing in number, a complaint by the fifth graders arose against the children's ministry. And that's exactly what happened. Our fifth graders kind of started going, this is like, just kitty. We don't like this anymore. We want something better. And they wanted something more like youth, but not quite youth, because the parents were like, we don't want them at youth. Uh, they're, they're fifth graders. And so our, ki- our kids venture 5.0 started. And honestly, as a dad of a fifth grader, he, he gets excited to go up there and be a part of what's going on in that fifth grade classroom and get engaged in what's happening because they were meeting a need that the little fifth graders were longing for. And then we know that in our culture currently, there's a massive need for help against addictions, whether they're food addictions, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, or, or you know, pornography addiction, you name it. And uh, Celebrate Recovery has been started at the church through a group that came and, and helped us out. It's been incredible. In fact, they had 39 people there last, well, I think last week. I'm not even sure how many were this Friday, but that's an awesome opportunity to see a lot of people helped. Amen? And so that's what we're talking. We can clap for that. That's awesome. So... <laughs> So we realize we're meeting needs. We're seeing needs. We're trying to meet those needs, connect with those needs, and encourage people to come to know Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of needs, unfortunately, do get overlooked. I can hear the objection. Hey, Greg, I brought my need up. People didn't meet my need. What's going on here? I want to point out, these needs were being brought up, but these needs weren't brought immediately to the apostles. It appears that those needs were brought up originally amongst the church itself. And so in some cases, I want to ask, maybe, maybe when it comes to our needs, there's two things that need to happen. One, we need to make them known, and two, they need to go to the right kind of people. In some cases, let's be honest, many of us don't bring our needs up to the church. We're Americans, for goodness sakes. We take care of our own needs, right? I mean, that's kind of the, the sense that we have. I can buy that or I can fix that on my own. I don't need to bring it to somebody else. Of course, there are some of us who can't buy it and we can't fix it on our own. So we, we will go to others. We'll meet our family and our family helps meet our needs. Or we'll connect in instead with the government and the government will meet our need in some way. And those are two other routes that we've found that needs have been met. And in fact, what's crazy is I'll come to some people, some of us in the church, and I'll say, hey, why don't you ask us for help? We have a benevolence fund. We'd love to help you. And they say things like, well, I really don't want to burden the church. Guys, that's what we're here for. 
We're here to help each other. We're here to care for one another's needs. We're here to connect with one another and help each other out. It's not a burden. It's why we give to benevolence. It's why we provide opportunities like Celebrate Recovery and KV 5.0 and all that stuff that we do. We want to enable and strengthen you so you can get through your situation. But let's be honest. Some of you think, man, I'm the only one facing my situation. I, I can hear that. It can look like that. I mean, imagine with me. Let's go back to in time to these moments where these Hellenists, these Greek-speaking Jews are sitting around. And, and they walk in one day and they say, hey, Agatha, how are you doing? And she says, oh, I'm not doing well. No food came today. Oh, Really? And so Stephen gets up and he goes to the other, he grabs his own food and comes back and brings it to this lady, this widow that he knows. Need met. What he doesn't know is 15 other women weren't, weren't helped either. And over in another segment of the church, three others weren't helped. And eventually one person raised their hand and said, hey, why are these widows being neglected? Why are the Greek-speaking widows being ignored? And suddenly somebody else says, yeah, I've got one too. Yeah, I've got one too. Yeah, me, 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 me too, all over the place. So it was a large enough problem that everybody said, oh, we've got to handle this. So you don't know if your problem is, not, is just yours. It might be shared by many people. But because we're not willing to raise our hands and say, hey, I've got this issue. Somebody else is not raising their hand saying, i got the same one. You may think you're the only one mourning or hurting over the lost loved one, or you may be the only one struggling over that addiction or whatever. But when you raise your hand, you say, I, I'm struggling here, I need help. There are other people who are able to raise their hand and say, me too. When that happens, now you begin to see a real need that begins to be met by a larger group. And sometimes you give courage to others when you bring up your need. And so maybe you need to ask yourself, what is that need that I have right now that I'm not bringing forward? And that's difficult. It may be embarrassing. In fact, it's hard. But let me warn you, if you don't bring out that need, oftentimes what we will do is when we don't see that need met, in our current culture, it's easier to shift somewhere else that will meet our need. We'll go like, well, that church isn't doing it, so I'm going to go over here to meet, get my need met here. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily wrong all the time, but I think some of us can get too quick in it. They had nowhere to go. You realize that? The church had, they had no other church down there. So they're like, I'm done with this Jerusalem church. I'm going over. No, there was nowhere to go. They had to figure it out with each other. They had to solve the problem together. And that need had to be met. And so they, were, they jumped on it. It was brought up. And some of you are going, I brought my need up. It's still not being met. And that's right. We need to bring it to the right kind of people. We suggest that you begin with your need at your small group level. Honestly, small groups are designed as our primary unit of care. That's why we encourage everybody, get into small groups, get connected into a smaller group where somebody knows your name, knows your situation, and can help you out. Maybe a men's group, maybe Lyft. It may be one of the the Lyft AM or Lyft PM. It may be a a mixed small group in the midweek, but sometimes there is a need that we we have to have met by our community surrounding us. I love one of our small groups actually um, at this, told us about at the celebration, small group celebration about what they do to help each other out. And if you're a small group leader, take some notes because this is incredible. What they do is they bring an empty water bottle, like literally just like a regular drinking water bottle and set it down in the middle. And they, at, the, at the beginning of every single week, they'll just empty their dimes out into this water bottle. By the end of a month or two months, the water bottle's full of dimes and that makes about $100. They've collected enough of these that when somebody's in need in their group, they'll just hand them the water bottle. Here, take the $100, go get help. And their small group meets the needs. Another thing that they do is, I think it's every other week or so, they bring a couple of canned goods in. And so they got a stockpile of canned goods. And so when all these floods and things are happening in Elsinore, this small group alone has been able to go to other people's homes and go, hey, do you need some food? Here's some food. 
That's a way just a small group has been able to meet needs, let alone when we gather together our funds in a benevolence fund or something like that to meet needs on a greater scale. But this is how a small group can be a dynamic impact in the needs of those people in their group, in their community. That if we're just thinking that we can help meet needs, we can help meet care needs, we can help meet financial needs, we can help meet food needs, whatever it is, you have a dynamism in your small group. Now, sometimes it's not going to work. Sometimes you're going to find that that need is too big for that group. And so it's going to raise up a level. It's going to be heard by the coach or some others. It's going to come to the staff. And now we're going to start connecting in. Sometimes that's going to come straight to me. Now, some of you may get frustrated because invariably what I do to you is I go, oh, thanks. Hey, you should talk to Brent about that. Or you should go talk to somebody else. And, my, and you're like, the pastor's pushing me off. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I'm, I may be the pastor, but I'm not a vet. You know, well, I want to give you to the right vet. You know what I mean? You take the sheep. Do you want the guy who's the shepherd doing the veterinary work if he's not a good vet? Isn't it better for me to get you the guy who can help you to do what you need to do to meet your need? And that's the power of having staff. That's the power of having leaders is the opportunity for me to get you to the right person who could truly help you. Now, if I can help you, I'll do it. But the point is that we as, we as a staff and we as a church are able to meet each other's needs together. And so we need to go, like, who's the right person to bring my need to? Who's going to hear me? And eventually it'll rise up. And sometimes it feels like it's being ignored. And it's, it's not been dealt with. What do you do there? Well, let's hold on. Because there is a response that's a little different that I want to show you here that comes out in the text. So let's continue forward. It goes on in verse 2 through 4 that as Luke is writing, he says, And the 12 summoned the full number, that's the 12 apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Say, what? Can you imagine the pastor getting up going, yes, we've heard about all of this problem with our our fifth graders. They don't want this. And then Stephanie stands up here and says, it is not right for me to go serve the fifth graders and give up on producing the curriculums and making sure, you know, some people be like, yes, that is your job. What are you talking about? You know, this is, this is the idea. The apostles literally stand up and say, we're not going to handle this. We're not going to go serve these tables. Look, I know this is great social justice works, guys, but guess what? We're called to the gospel. And we're, it's our job to preach the gospel and pray. So here's what we're going to do. You guys, go figure it out. Go find these leaders, they'll go on to say, who are, who are in this way. I find this fascinating. Some people get so frustrated. You don't, bring your, you don't bring your need to the church. Honestly, you don't bring it to a pastor because invariably you know what we do, right? And we all do it. You come in, you're like, I got this problem. It's like, awesome. You can be the leader of that ministry. That's a great solution. And you walk out going, what just happened? I got judoed. It's nuts. <laughs> and, it's, and I'm just here to tell you, we do that because it's biblical. The apostles did it first. So they said, here, guys, they, said, go, they go on. They go, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit of wisdom, those who appoint to this duty. But, but we're going to just uh, devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so there's a very real thing when it comes to the response to a need. The early church understood that the church wasn't the staff. It wasn't the leadership. The church wasn't a building. The church is the people. It's the congregation. We are the church. Not, not we are the church. We are the church. I wish there was like an inclusive we and, and like an, an exclusive we, right? Exclusive means just me and my group. Inclusive is we, all of us, because that's what the church is. It's we, all of us. 
It's not Olive Branch is the staff and you guys get to come to this place. No, we are Olive Branch. And when we understand ourselves as a congregation, that these are the needs that are rising up within us, then we won't just simply lean on the pastor. Now, this sounds like I'm going to whine and complain as the pastor, but this is invariably something that happens throughout churches in America where the pastor is leaning on for everything. The pastor is expected to go to everything, to do everything, to be the centerpiece of everything. And honestly, I don't see that in the text. What I actually see here is the apostles backing away saying, our job is to preach. Our job is to pray. You guys go serve the tables because we're going to distribute the work together. We're going to make sure that when we meet needs, we do it together because new needs need more of the church. New needs require more of the church. It means all of us got to step up to meet these new needs so that they are fulfilled. Second, so this means that you got to let leadership follow their calling and not get mad. See, there's a tendency for gift projection. It's a term that's used within ministry all the time. I'll share it with you guys. And it's this idea that you have a passion. Maybe your passion is missions. You're like, everybody needs to be a missionary. Everybody should get out there. And I've met young beginning missionaries, not mature missionaries like I know in this room, but young missionaries who are like, they get into it. They're like, everybody needs to be a global participant in every single way by going. Now, I think we should all be involved in helping, giving, and praying. Amen? I think we should take an opportunity to get out there and do a local, to maybe an exploration mission trip to see if God's giving you a calling to the global sphere of bringing the, the message to the globe. But not everybody in this room is supposed to leave and go. We need some to stay and give. Same thing is true in children's ministry, man. Sometimes we get passionate about children's ministry. They're the future of the church. They are the next generation. You all should be in children's ministry. If we're going to see kids really know this besides your parents, you know how to do this anyway. Come on. You're not even a Christian if you don't involve in children's ministry. Like that kind of passion can happen. I've seen it in prayer ministry. I just heard the amen from the children's director. Because and passion creep can happen where literally prayer warriors, you passionate for prayer, you look around like, why are people not coming to the prayer nights? What's wrong with you people? And what happens is we're taking what we're passionate and we're projecting it onto other people. And oftentimes it's projected on the staff. Why isn't the staff here? Why aren't the elders here? I don't feel like they appreciate us. I feel like they're not doing it. Guys, Jesus Christ is there with you. He's what empowered you for that ministry. Are you meeting the needs? Are you seeing God work through you? You don't need some special figure to show up and bless it. I'm not a priest. We're Protestants. If you take your finger and point at yourself, you're now pointing at a priest because according to the scriptures, we're all priests. We're all functionaries between God and men. We all have the opportunity to serve in this world and to see God's spirit work through us to care for other people. And the beauty is that God wants to do this through all of us so that we meet these needs. The congregation then is the ones that step up to meet the needs. And in other words, don't look to have your needs fixed in the church. Look to fix needs in the church. If you've ever asked yourself this question, why isn't the church doing X, Y, or Z? What's wrong with this? Why is the church not covering that? Why is the church not meeting that need? Do you ever realize you're asking yourself that question? Because you're the church. When you stop and go, why is the church not doing this? Is the question, why am I not meeting that need? 
And it's an incredible opportunity to help you step back and say, wow, we do have a lot of opportunities to meet needs. Now, there are times where we need to call the congregation together and just say, hey, there's these needs that need to be met. I'll give you a couple examples. Right now, we need administrators. If you have an administrative minded, if you're an administrative minded person, you don't mind. You actually like putting data into a computer because you know you do it right and nobody else is going to do it like you do it. And you do it fast. So it's no big deal to you. You're like, I'm done. We're like, what? Look, we have people on our staff who literally have a 1980s level of computer technology, okay? I'm talking Apple IIe, still putting floppy disks in. They think that's how it works. And some of us just need help. And some of us need help to get that information in and empower the ministry to move on so that, you know, it's not, I don't want to get just fixated simply on a computer. I want to be able to use my gifts as God's called us to use our gifts. He give administrative gifts to some of you. He gives you the ability to do some of this stuff. We actually need leaders in a very key, two key critical places. We have tried to launch the single stuff. We were doing some singles nights and some things, single things. But to be honest, without a key leader who's going to take it and run it and make it happen, without a key set of team members who say, we care about singles, we want to see them not just th- survive, we want to see them thrive and make the biggest difference they possibly can, we need somebody to step in and make it happen. We need somebody to step up and say, this is what I'm, I'm passionate about. Young adults. I mean, we have a staff member who's running our young adults thing and her job is already full running a bunch of the nursery and everything else that, and the preschool that's going on. I mean, she is, Amanda is working hard, but we need somebody who can step up and say, I'll, I'll take this, I'll take it to the next level, I'll take it beyond. These are young adults, our starters, those who are beginning their careers or beginning their families or beginning really in very reals, their college or whatever they're doing, they're starting off. They have such vision, such great hope, such opportunity. We need a leader who can help them see where God wants to take them. These are some of our critical needs at this moment, if I was to really say that. Not, not included with some of the things that you're physically and feeling and other things that we haven't even told our needs yet. And what we need are people to step into position to start serving. You say, well, how do you do that? I mean, I don't really know. It's, look, finding where you serve is simple. You start just simply by obeying. Jesus said, I've come to serve and not to be served. And if we're here to, if we're here to be like Jesus Christ, that means we're here to serve and not to be served. And sometimes it's not waiting around till that perfect position opens up. It's just, okay, God, I'll do whatever. Boom, you step in. I met a lady just after last service who said, yeah, I tried out in children's ministry and I found out I don't work well with kids. And she's like, amen, get out. You know, I kind of, you don't want those people around in there. But she started and now she's moved into another ministry where she's beginning to serve. And she's like, I, I think this is the why. I think this is really where God's called me, which is awesome. Because the next step is, once you just kind of serve and go, maybe you're shaking hands, you're, you're making coffee, and now you look around and go, oh, there's a need to be met. I'm gonna step towards the need. And as you step towards the need and you feel the need, you begin to discover what your passion and your calling is. Too many people in the church today, we sit back and go, well, I'll serve when I figure out what passion my calling is. I have never discovered anybody who's discovered their passion or calling from a test or just simply a class. I found my passion, my calling by stepping into a junior high ministry where I played badly in a band and then I moved into playing badly as a game guy. I got to do one sermon once and I realized I liked worship and I liked having fun and then I got engaged in, the te- in drama and in teaching and suddenly I'm like, oh, this is, this, is, this is fun. And from there, my calling came out of this, the ministry I was already serving in. 
So I want to encourage you guys, maybe you need to take that first step into ministry, first step into serving where you're satisfied and things are being memorable and needs are being met. Look, we have this this number. It's 951-302-0808. And you can simply put that in your phone and text the word serve. It'll link you over to our website where you can immediately jump in to the serving page and, and sign up right there. Or maybe you can just use your app, open it up to where it says serve, and you, you can jump in right there and start connecting. You say, Greg, I've done this before. I got no response. First of all, let me apologize for that. We've discovered two things. One, a lot of the responses were going to junk mail. And we're like, great. So we're working on that to fix that pro- bad problem. You know, So we're making sure that gets fixed. But second is sometimes it just gets buried and we didn't get back and we're working on making sure that response time is faster. We want to make sure that you guys can get connected in the right spots and know that you've been heard and you're jumping in and going. Don't let a non-response from us stop you. Just show up and go, hey, I'd love to help out on Sunday morning. Where can I do this? Or, hey, I would love to help out on Saturday night. Where can I help? And when you do that, it's far faster. You just, they'll just, they'll probably give you something to pass, you know, if you're part of those team. Or I'll say, here's some coffee, go make some. But look, the point is that there is a passion that we want to get to, but he begins by simply stepping and obeying. But to be honest, then we need leaders. And that's where most people will gulp. They go like, well, I can't lead anything. I don't want to be a leader. Look, we can't identify all the leaders. We can't find them all. We're busy, we're, we're, we're away, we're stuck. Sometimes I'm, not, I'm up here preaching while ministry like crazy is happening around the rest of the church, right? People's needs are being met. And I don't know who's leading well in small groups. And I don't know who's leading well all the time in these stuff. You know how you find out who leads well? You guys narc on your friend. That's how it happens. They go, hey, John's a really good leader. Just go tell him I told you. And they run away. Notice that's what the apostles said. They said, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. You guys find the leaders. You can vet them. You know them. You see if they're good people. You go, hold on, hold on. That guy's a good leader. So what are you looking for? Again, you're looking for three things. Leaders should have a good reputation. should be godly and wise. Notice what it says in verse three. Pick out brothers, uh, pick out from among you men of good good repute. That's good reputation. They're already serving. They're people that they saw, they knew that these guys cared and were ministers. Second, they're full of the spirit. That means they love God. They're godly. They're following Jesus. They have a quiet time. They know the word of God. They apply the word of God wherever they go. Then these are the guys you're looking for. And the third is you find somebody who's wise. That means they're good decision makers. They, they make good decisions. You watch them routinely make good decisions. You go, well, how am, I, how, how am I gonna be one of those people? I'd love to be a leader one day. Maybe you're starting off and you would love to step into leadership at some point. Well, I would just advise you start serving. Begin to build the reputation of care and love for other people around you. Then step forward and continue growing in your spiritual life. Continue to love Christ with all your heart. Building in the time in the word of God. Building into your life prayer. Understanding all the aspects of spiritual discipline. And, and just grow in your godliness. Third, find somebody who makes good decisions. Get with that person who makes good decisions and ask them why they made that decision the way that they did. Don't ask them how they make a decision. That doesn't, ask them why they make a decision. Wisdom comes from knowing the why behind something. When you know the why behind something, it'll make you wise. Because then you can apply that why to your decision-making in other cases. Too many people want to know how you make a decision. No, go find out why 
the decision was made and grow in wisdom. Grow in wisdom in the word, grow in wisdom from learning from others and develop that. And when you see those kind of things, let us know. We love to have those kind of leaders around us. People who are godly, of great reputations and who are wise. But there's one more attribute that we're looking for. One more piece that's really important. And it finds its way in right here in verse, beginning of verse five. It says, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Pumbaa. No, 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 sorry. We all think that, don't we now? It's like Timon, and Parmaeus, and Nicholas, and the pro- a proselyte of Antioch. Now, what we see here is is a whole group of people that have been brought together. The church somehow was really excited about this, this uh, call for the, for the apostles to go, you handle it, find them. They're like, yeah, we get to do it. They're all excited. They gather these guys together, seven of them, bring them in. They say, these are our guys. So then they would take them and they laid their hands on them and prayed over them. And this was the, the goal to just anoint them and bring them forward in the authority of the Lord. Now, the, what's interesting is something is, is kind of interesting in these men. So look at these names again. You got Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and, and Timian and Parmenas and, and Nicholas and, and Stephen. These are all Greek names. There's not a single Hebrew name in the group. And what most scholars believe is what they did is they went and they found a group of people who are passionate about the problem. These were their widows. These are the people who spoke Greek and could speak to these ladies. And when you are looking for leaders, what you're looking for is somebody who's, who should have a passion for the problem. When there's somebody passionate for young adults, when there's somebody passionate to get engaged with our singles, when there's somebody passionate to care and reach out to the LGBT community, when there's somebody who's passionate to engage in the case of just seeing awesome music and worship happen, man, you want to link those people with their passion. You want to connect them and enable them to live out what God's calling them to do. The question is, what's your passion? What has God called you into? Oftentimes, passion shows up in what you love to study, what you love to examine, you love to talk about. Wives, what does your husband just constantly talk about when it comes to church? Nothing. I hope something. So, what does your wives talk about? What does your best friend talk about when you're together? What are they reading? The other flip to that is to ask this question What do they complain about? Because oftentimes, the thing that they see as the problem is the thing God's calling them to a passion for. And I wish they would do this. This just bugs me. They don't reach out right in this thing or they don't, they don't serve right in this area. Oh, it's just, yeah, man, that's a passion. You should be engaged in that. That is where God may be using your skills and your abilities to move the needle forward and engage in that passion. Allow other people to have their passions, but engage in that passion because I'd rather have a passionate person learn how to be a leader than a leader take over something they're apathetic about. Some of you are like, I can't be a leader. I just, I'm not born a leader. I'm a follower. I'm like, that's nice. But you have a spirit of God in you, namely the Holy Spirit, who can empower you to leadership. If you have a passion, you want to solve a problem, and God's with you, there will suddenly become an energy in you to solve that problem. What happens when somebody tries to solve a problem? They bring a bunch of people along. That's called a leader. When you get engaged, you get excited to solve that par- problem and you're bringing other people with you and you're, and you're gonna have people who are like, help you solve other problems because if you're not a good leader, you're gonna create problems and other people are gonna come in and solve those. And it's called a team. And it works together. 
and ministry is formed and people get passionate and their problems get met. So I ask you, what is your passion? Grow in your godliness, grow in your reputation, grow in your wisdom, engage in your passion and see what God begins to do. Because here's the bottom line. When needs are met in the church, the church grows. When needs are met in the church, people feel like their needs are met, the church grows. And then guess what? When the church grows, there are what? More needs. And then if the congregation jumps in and meets those needs, the church grows, and then there are more needs. And it's just a growing cycle because this is a fallen world and we've got a gospel that heals and transforms, but we need to be engaged. We need to be living for Christ in these ways. We need to be engaged in the service. And what happens then is it multiplies in an amazing way. Notice verse seven, it says, and the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So the church grew and many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Say, what? Well, I point out the priests, except that the priests were the ones who were over distributing food to the widows in the temple. And what happened was because they were willing to care for this need, it got the attention of the government workers, the priests. And they started to realize, hey, Something's happening there. They leaned in. They came to know Christ and they got saved. Oftentimes you want to make an influence in this world. Let's serve each other greatly. Let's serve each other rightly. Let's meet needs. When we do that, the corporate world pays attention. They go like, what what are you guys doing? You're doing that cheaper than we do it. The government world pays attention. They go, whoa, 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 whoa. You guys are doing a good job at meeting this need. When we meet needs and we do it well, people lean in and discover Years ago, when our James Project was getting launched, we had a, a couple of those running at the time. A couple, uh, a couple started checking out our James Projects. They were kind of surprised. Uh, she worked in code enforcement. He worked in the city. And both in the city of Corona, they were like, wow, what is this? And they, they hadn't been going to church for roughly a year or so. And finally, they leaned in. They came to the church and started coming to Olive Branch and through James Project and some of the training that went on there, they got so excited. Um, they became leaders in James Project. They became excited about their faith. Eventually they retired. In fact, they made the connections for us in the city with the code enforcement stuff. Eventually they retired and now they live up north and they help run a Christian camp. You go from just working in the city and not going to church to run in the Christian camp where you're vocational in ministry. That's the power of finding your passion. That's what happens when we meet each other's needs and we meet the needs in the city. When we do something like Love Week, it has impact beyond just simply caring for the people directly in front of us. Let's just praise God that as we meet needs, God grows the church and brings more needs so the church can grow. But the whole element that makes it grow is that you and I step in to meet them together. And so the question is, where will you begin today? And I hope that you'll begin. If it's so much just as simple as taking this number and texting serve to that number, do it. Begin, grab that green card, that next step card, and, and just write the, your name and contact and say, I'll serve anywhere or wherever your passion is. Let us know. We want to engage you to help meet the needs of each other around you. Because it's in that that we're gonna need to. As we reach 200,000, we try to set a venue, man, we're gonna need our worship team to grow. We're gonna need our tech team to triple. We're gonna need the opportunity for our host team to multiply. We're gonna need the opportunity for children's ministers all over the place. And that means all of us jumping in to meet needs so that other people might hear the, the message of Jesus Christ and be transformed. And we all become part of the solution. 
And I am excited to invite you guys into that. And I hope that you'll join us. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to shift gears for a minute because some of you in this room, this was you maybe felt a little irrelevant to you. You're, you're not a Christian yet. You're not following Jesus, but you're here. Somebody invited you. You're checking it out. I want to let you know where this connects with you. And it connects simply in the idea that God came to serve you. There's a God in the universe. He's not aloof and hanging out and, and ignoring the problems of earth. In fact, God came as a human being in Jesus Christ to step in and serve you by taking on the broken mess of this world. The same broken mess that you sense inside yourself of the moral failures you've done, all the moral uh, evils that we've committed that we don't like to admit that we've failed in those ways. He knows about them already and he already still loves you. In fact, what he did is on the cross, when Jesus was crucified, he bore your moral failures for you that he would give you the opportunity to be forgiven of those so you can start on a new playing field of life. And he, gives, and he rose from the dead to give you a leader who is, who is worthy to be followed and a life worthy to be followed after. And so he gives you the opportunity to become his disciple, to follow after him, to live a life of self-sacrifice and service, one of meaning, satisfaction, and memorable. But it comes when you receive what Jesus Christ has done for you, that he's given you his life so that you would be spared the judgment of your own moral failures, so that you would be right with God. And today is a time where you can make that decision. You're not guaranteed to get home. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so you can't push this off. Right now, I really want to encourage you that you should make a decision to be forgiven of your sin, to be forgiven of your moral failings, to start new and begin to follow the one who has loved you and served you, namely Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to make that decision right now. If that's you, I want to walk you through a prayer. So you should put your hand up indicating, yes, that's me. For the first time, I'm ready to make that decision. I'm ready to follow after Jesus. I want to walk you through a prayer that enables you to do that. Right where you're at, if you just want to start with this, you say, God, I know that I have moral failings in my life. And I know that you're going to judge those, but I ask that you'd forgive me. I trust that Jesus took those on himself so that I could be forgiven. And I ask that you would now lead me into a life of service, love, sacrifice. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you for leading me. I ask this in Jesus' name.